The great I am. You know where the great I am is right now? He right here. He right here. And the great I am, Holy Spirit, is right here for all of us who have been born again. What a great song of praise to the Lord. Tommy, lead us, please, before we start. Second Timothy 3, if you want to turn there, please. Uh, uh, looking at uh, verses 14 through 17, pretty much today. God's holy word. 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament. Written over a period of about 1,500 years. Written by kings. Written by servants. Written by shepherds. Written by farmers. Written by paupers. All had a piece of writing this great, great book. This book has one author. And that is Holy God. This book has one central character, and that is Jesus. The Old Testament tells us about the coming Messiah and the plans and the preparations for that coming Messiah. The New Testament tells us that the the Messiah has come and what he was doing in his life to provide salvation For every one of us. This book is the greatest book that has ever been written. Let me repeat that. This book is the greatest book ever been written. Because this is God's word. And this is God's truth. I I, I told you last week or a couple weeks ago about a a survey that I I saw. uh, That said this. They asked Americans, they polled Americans, and they said, is, um, is the Bible, is the Bible the literal Word of God? In, in, in 2017, the Americans that were polled, 24% said, yes, it is. 24%. 2022, 20% said, this book is the literal Word of God. Now I can understand uh, Americans saying that. But they also did another survey right there with that one. And they were asking born again believers three questions. Born again believer, those who profess to have Christ, to have salvation, to be born again or repented of their sins to be walking the narrow road if you would they said is this book the literal word of God 40% 
born-again Christian said this is the literal word of God. 60% said no, it's not. They asked about that same group of born-again believers, and I put that in quotation marks. They said, is this the inspired word of God? Only 51% of born-again believers that were polled said this is the inspired word of God. That's unbelievable. But here's the next biggest stat that I heard. Oh, my goodness. Out of this born-again group, 8% of the born-again Christians that they polled said this book is only a book of fables and of myths. And they claim to be born again. Do you understand why for the next two or three Sundays we're going to be preaching on God's Word? (laughs) Okay? Those numbers are staggering. Unbelievable. Especially, not so much the part about Americans. I mean, I can understand them not, not really grasping the concept. But I can't believe that people who have professed Christ in their life or supposedly have professed Christ in their lives, just less than half would say, yeah, this is really inspired by God. We're going to look at a verse that, that will tell us that it really is today. You know, I know when, when, when the boys were young and, and sometimes, sometimes you know how it is at Christmas and Santa Claus would bring something that was assembling acquired y'all been there dads where you have to put this these things together and i know that happened to me more than on one occasion and uh, we'd get that thing and you know before before christmas night you know we'd open that box up and i'd get in there and i'd start taking that stuff and putting it all together and you put it together and then you realize wait a minute that's got to be put together first no, wait a minute, that's backwards right there. No, I got to do this. I got and, and after a, an hour of complete frustration and your blood pressure going up and you think, oh, man, what am I going to do? And then I finally, finally, on many occasions, finally decided that, you know, maybe the maker of this item, this toy, maybe knows more about it, how to assemble it than I do. So what do you do? You get out and you get the instruction book out and you start reading it. And, and yes, sure enough, that. That works that way. I mean, it's just amazing that, it, that if you just follow the instructions, it works. And I'm here to tell you that is very much like the Christian life, is it not? How many times in our lives do we try to assemble our lives thinking that we know exactly what to do? That we don't need instructions. Jim even talked about this in Sunday school. That we don't need the instruction book. That, that God's got a lot of things on his mind and there's a lot of folks out there and, and, and I'm just going to handle this myself. I, I don't need any directions because I'm smart enough to do it. And just like me at Christmas trying to put a symbol, a bike or whatever it was together, I just would crash and burn. I'm here to tell you when we leave out the instruction book that God has given to us. And we try to assemble our lives and make order of our lives and we forget what's in this book. I can tell you that life will not be near as successful for you as if you had used this book. This book is an awesome, awesome book. And for the next couple of weeks, we are going to just look at the fact 
that, that book, this book is awesome. This book will tell us more things about different things than any other book in the history of books. If you look there in, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, uh, as you, we're going to focus in on, on 15, 16, and 17. But I just want us just to kind of just get a preview of how awesome this, this book is. People today say this book is outdated and outmoded and just has no bearing on today's world. And by looking at those numbers, you would say, yeah, you're probably right. That's what they would believe. But if you begin to look at this book, it is so up to date, it's almost unbelievably scary how up to date this book is. Because if you well, you look in the first part of, of chapter 3, and, and Paul is telling Timothy here, Timothy, old buddy, there's going to be some difficult times that are going to come down. Your life is going to be hard. Society is going to be hard. Culture is going to be hard. Difficult times are coming. And then he says, this is what your society is going to look like. And, and this looks like what we, can, what we see on the news if you want to see it. It says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boastful. They will be disobedient to parents. They'll be unloving, it says, malicious gossip. They won't have any self-control. They'll be brutal. They'll be haters of good. Boy, that sounds like the news, does it not? They were treacherous, reckless, uh, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. In ver- chapter 4, in verse 3, it talks about in the end times, it will be difficult times, that, that people will not want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear what this Word says. The Bible says they just want their ears tickled. They want to hear something that makes them always feel good, that always builds up their self-image. So they can be their best whoever they want to be in society. And he says, end times will be coming. And, and I read those verses and I think, man, that's just, I mean, pick up any newspaper. You can just see that. Watch any TV show. You can just see that. You see, this book is not outdated. This book is more up, up to date than, than Clinton Daily News, if you would. Okay? I mean, this is cutting edge stuff. And, and, and in verse 13, as Paul is, is talking to Timothy, he also says this. He says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See any of that today? Evil men, people deceived, deceiving. Yeah. So what, how does all that fit into God's word? Well, let's begin to see what it has, has to say here, okay? He's talking to Timothy, his young buddy. And in verse 14, he tells him this. He says, you, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I mean, the first thing I see Paul's encouraging to Remember who you are in Christ. He said, you know, you had, Paul, you had, uh, Timothy, you had a mother named Eunice who taught you the scriptures. You had a grandmother named Lois 
who taught you the scriptures. You had a family unit, Timothy, that passed down a Christian godly legacy to you. And you, I don't know how many times I spoke about that in here, that as parents and grandparents, that is our job, is it not, to pass a legacy down of godliness, to, to tell our, our kids and our grandkids and to show them and live out Christ in front of them. And if we haven't done that, it's a good, today would be a good day to start on that. He had, a, he had a godly legacy. What a lucky guy he was. You see, because he was, he was being raised in a Christian family. And Paul says, don't forget what you have learned. Don't, conv- don't, don't become convinced of knowing what you know. Because the, the times will be evil. Men will be evil. Life will be a struggle. Life is going to be difficult. And you know what those folks taught you. And don't ever give up on that. Don't ever quit on that. Because what they taught you was true, the true gospel. Paul's reminding Timothy, never give up. Know what you have learned. And then in verse 15. And it says, and from that childhood, you have known the sacred writings. In today's world, that would be God's word. You were taught the sacred writings by your mom and your grandmother. Which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to just kind of just focus on that wisdom just a little bit. The sacred writings, God's holy word. He said, if you have the wisdom here that leads to salvation. What, what's he talking about, that kind of wisdom that we can, we can pull out of this, this great book? Well, I think the first kind of wisdom that we can pull out of this book is that God... God sent His Son into the world, Jesus Christ, to do what? To save the world and to reveal truth to all of us. Okay? He he came to reveal truth to all of us. No other book tells us that kind of truth. We know what Jesus, who Jesus is, do we not? John 14, 6 tells us what? He is the way, the truth, and the life. During Jesus' time, the Greek philosophers, what did they do? They were always studying, always had a book, always wanting to know more, to, to enlighten themselves, if you would, always searching for the truth, what the truth was. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus that great question. Do you remember that? <laughs> what is truth? Pontius Pilate didn't know that truth was standing right in front of him. He didn't understand that point. As we look at Jesus' life, we know that he absolutely is the truth. And this book is absolutely true. This book is absolutely true because it was inspired by Holy God. We understand that kind of wisdom. You need to understand that Christ came for salvation, but he came to reveal that truth, and he is the truth. And this book is absolutely true. True. I think the second kind of wisdom that we can get from this is that Jesus, through this book, took care of the problem, man's problem with righteousness. How does a man become right with God? God is absolutely holy. Mankind is absolutely sinners. <laughs> okay? How do we get the two together? How does mankind ever get with a holy God? 
Jesus solved that, and we read about it in his word. How did he do that? When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross, and he, and he was crucified, and he, and he paid our sin debt. And it was a great exchange at that point. You understand this, don't you? When he died on that cross, he took all of our sins upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin. How repulsive that must have been to him. But in exchange for that, when you and I accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we gave him all of our sins and put those all on him, you know what he gave us? He gave us his righteousness. He gave us the ability to be made right with God. There's no, other, no greater thing in this world than to be right with God. He, he provided that for us. No other book can you read that will tell us how to be right with God. And Jesus solved that problem, and we read about it in his word. I think another piece of wisdom that we get from reading God's word is that Jesus took care of man's sin problem and his dying problem. Jesus took care of that, and we read about it in his word. How did he take care of the sin problem? We're all sinners, are we not? The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the beautiful thing about that is when Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross and we accepted him as Lord and Savior, what did he do to our sins? He said he took them as far as the east is from the west. Every one of our sins has been forgiven. And did you know we will never have to be judged because of our sins? Our sins will never come up in the conversation, if you would, again. Because they have been removed from us, forgiven forever and forever and forever. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And then we read about that in this holy, holy book. He also dealt with the problem of man's dying, death. What happens when we die? Jesus solved that, did he not? He solved that. He, when we accepted him as Lord and Savior, we read about it here in his holy word. He said we, are, we take our last breath here. Take our first breath in heaven. Absent from the body, present from the Lord. If we have been born again, do we even have to even worry about death? We don't have to worry about that because we know where we're going. We have a home in heaven. And Jesus took care of that in the cross. And we read about that in his holy word. I think the last piece of, of wisdom that we can derive from this just right here that Paul was talking to Timothy about was that Jesus took care of the problem of living forever. He took care of the problem of living forever. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to him three days later? He arose from that grave. He resurrected. He was resurrected to walk on this earth for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven where the Bible says he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You see, death no longer because of what Jesus did on that cross and his resurrection in that empty tomb. We no longer have to worry about how, where we're going to live and how we're going to live and how long are we going to live. We serve a risen Savior, and the Bible says one day, if we have been born again, He's going to come back and He's going to get us. And He's going to take us to that mansion in heaven that He's preparing for us even as we speak right now. You see, we know where we're going to live for eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross. There is no other book that will tell us that kind of eternal saving word except God's holy word. You want to know where, what truth is? You want to know what, where to find truth? You find absolute truth here in this word. 
and in Jesus. You want to be made right with God? Somehow you want to figure out how you could ever be right with God? This book tells you how to be right with God. You want to deal with the sin problem that you might have? This book right here will tell you how to deal with that sin problem. You want to know how you can live forever in heaven? This book right here will tell you how you can live for heaven forever and forever. No other book that's ever been written can tell us that kind of wisdom. And that's the kind of wisdom that Paul is going to be reminding Timothy of that. When life is hard and is difficult and evil men get get more eviler, if that's a word, and more deceitful and they're deceiving and all that kind of good stuff. And they don't want to listen, Timothy, to what you have to say because it is truth and absolute truth. Just remember, these are the things that God, the wisdom that your mother and your grandmother has taught you, the wisdom that I have taught you, and you'll find it in no other book. We just read about Psalm 119, 105, where it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This word is to be treasured. This word is to be honored. This word is to be known. And this word is to be obeyed. Because this is God's word, his love letter to us. What an awesome, awesome book. Verse 16. I know that you probably have heard these verses here. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. Well... 49% of unbelievers don't believe that, according to the poll. Let me read it again. All Scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Because he's talking about all Scripture. He's talking about all Scripture here. It's inspired by God. You'll notice there it doesn't say all the writers of the Bible were inspired by God. Doesn't say that, does it? It says all scripture is inspired by God. So what's he what's he talking about there? I mean, I think in our minds sometimes we think that that when the writers of, of this book sat down to write, and as they began to write and to fill in some stuff and write those paragraphs, I think sometimes in our mind we think, Well, yeah, I I, I heard about that. Let me write about that. No, no, I don't think that's right. Let me, let me erase that. I'm going to write about this. Well, that sounds good. And, and, and I, I heard third hand about what, he, what Jesus did here. And, and surely they wouldn't be lying to me. So they sat down and, and wrote some more of their book that they were writing. And we think that, that, that these men who wrote this book were the ones that were inspired to write them. That they came up with this inspiration one day. Maybe after they had a good day or whatever. And they sat and wrote down one of the books of the Bible. That is absolutely not the way it went. That is absolutely not what happened. Because you see the Bible says it's not all men were inspired. Those 40 authors. No. It was God who inspired the scripture. So how did that work? That word inspired means God breathed. Means God breathed. 
And as God breathed His Scripture like it is today and like it was 1,500 years ago, when God breathed that Scripture, the Holy Spirit perked His ears up. And the Holy Spirit took what God was saying and what was God was breathing out and he took that and he spoke to the writers of this book. And the writers of this book, when, when the Holy Spirit revealed truth to them, the truth of this word, what did they do? Then and only then did they begin to write the books of the Bible. And it comes nothing from man's philosophy, nothing from man's intellect. It is God breathing Scripture and the Holy Spirit taking that Scripture and imparting that Scripture to the writers of this book. That's my prayer every Sunday as I stand here to deliver His message that it is not my words, but it's the Holy Spirit who speaks through me, reveals truth to me as I bring it out to you. All Scripture is inspired. How do I know it's inspired? Second Peter 2 Peter, one of these great verses that, that you might uh, jot down. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 says it this way. says it much better than I, I ever said it. But it says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not a matter of one's own interpretation, one's own thoughts, one's own ability to write, to put a few words together. But for prophecy was ever made by, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, when, when, when those born-again believers say that this is not God's inspired word, I don't know how they get around that verse. There's no way they can get around that verse. All Scripture has been inspired by Holy God. 80% of Americans don't even believe that verse, do they? No, 60%. Born-again believers don't believe that verse. Woo! That might be an issue in somebody's life. How do I know that the Bible is the Word of God? The Holy Spirit is, is the one who reveals truth. We look at God's Word. We find out the writers of the Old Testament prophesy that this is God's Word. The Old Testament, the history of the Jewish people, the history that said this is a Messiah is coming. Over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, when you read it, it says, Thus saith the Lord. It does not say, Thus man said. Thus Moses said, thus Jeremiah said, 2,000 times it says, thus saith the Lord. The prophets of the Old Testament will proclaim that this truly is God's Word. One of the great verses that I love a whole bunch is Jeremiah 1.9. And it says this, and the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words into your mouth. You see... For when Jeremiah spoke, it was inspired by God. When Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah, it was inspired by God. Because all Scripture is inspired by Him. So how does, why do we know the Word? The Bible is God's Word. The Old Testament 
the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. The New Testament uh, speaks of, uh, of being God's Word. We talked about Peter just a minute ago. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, Paul says, Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Even the writers of the New Testament will tell you that this is God, God's Word. Jesus even claims that it's God's Word. Jesus said, I came to fulfill all of the Scripture. I have even the biggest parts of the Scripture, the littlest parts of the Scripture. He said, I have come to fulfill what the Scripture has said. In Matthew 24, 35, he says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The strength of his words will never pass away. They will never be changed, will never be altered. Jesus said, this book is God's word to us. What an awesome, awesome book. And then real quickly, and I'll be done. All scripture is inspired by God. I hope and I pray that every person in this room understands that all scripture is inspired by God. When somebody tries to tell you that it was just a bunch of men who made this up, the Scripture does not say that. You have proof. I've given you verses that will contradict whatever they might say. In this Scripture, it says it is profitable for teaching. <laughs> this book is profitable for teaching. There, there's nothing that cannot be taught from this Word. Do you understand this? This is the best book to teach out of. I mean, I used to teach a little history and government, and those were some pretty good books, but hey, they don't hold a candle to this book. Profitable for teaching. You see, in this book, we get to see who God is. It tells us who God is, the creator of the universe. It tells us how much God loves us. We get to know Jesus, the Son of God, and what he did on the cross. This book tells us that. He explains to us that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us and brings conviction to us. We can learn and be taught from this book. This book also has a lot more that it can teach us, just a few other things. It can teach you how to raise your kids. Did you know that? It has that in here. It can teach you about your finances, how to, how to handle your finances. It can teach you how to love the unlovable. It can teach you how to forgive the unforgivable. It can teach you how to love God and love others. It can show you how to be successful in life and successful in business. And that's just a couple of things that this Bible can teach us. This Bible is nothing but a wealth of information, a wealth of wisdom. Spoken, <laughs> breathed by the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and hung them all out there. And he knows her number and he's given them all names. If you want some wisdom in your life, <laughs> bingo, bango. There it is. You don't have to go, go buy a book from Dr. Phil. You can go buy a book from Dr. God. And he's got better word than Dr. Phil. Nothing wrong with Dr. Phil, though. I just want you to know that. <laughs> uh, profitable for teaching. It is profitable for 
reproof. God's word should, should bring conviction when a person sins. Did you know that? God's word will, will tells us the consequences of sin in a life that is lived away from, from the Lord. As I read through right now the Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over and over, it, God's word says, guys, if you'll just obey me, if you just believe me and do what I've asked you to do, I will bless you beyond blessings. It's what he tells us in the Old Testament. But if you don't, if you don't, there's going to be coming judgment and punishment because of that, he would tell them. I want you to be obedient to my word. And my word will tell you that there are consequences when we choose to walk away from the Lord. I mean, you know, you know that, that Jesus spoke about hell more than he talked about heaven in the New Testament. Warning people about the consequences of sin. This word is profitable for reproof. This word is profitable for correction. This, word, this book can teach us how to live the Christian life. What it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. If we have a question about how, what road we should take in life, and, 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 and if we choose not that road, like Jim talked about in Sunday school, this book can bring us back to the road that we need to be on. It is for correction. It's profitable for correction. And then it says it's profitable for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Yeah, we have the righteousness of God, yes. But we just don't leave it there. We have to learn how to, how to live righteously. We have to learn how to speak and to think and to do. And God's Word will teach us that. He'll teach us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling if we just let him to walk in a righteous way, if you will. And we do this in verse 17 so that the man of God will be adequate, equipped for every good thing. You see, God wants the best for us, does he not? And he gave us the best when he gave us his son. And he gave us the best when he gave us this absolute truth book. This book is to be treasured. Like I said, this book is to be honored. Men throughout history and women throughout history have died because of what's in this book. They've given their lives for what's in this book. This book is not a coaster to put your pop can on. This book is not a, a thing to put your lamp stand on. This book is not a book that is to be set down and have ten other things put on top of it. This book is God's holy word. This, this book is his love letter to us. This book tells us about who he is and his son. This book must be treasured in your life and honored in your life. And of being obedient in your life. We must read this book, ponder this book, chew on this book. Let this word in this book impact and change your life. It is wisdom that tells us about salvation. It's wisdom that tells us about life. It is the wisdom that tells us 
about eternity. There is no other book can do this. Rhonda, as we begin our time, I hope over the next couple of weeks as we look at this book that this book becomes very important to you. I'm reminded that when the storm, the storm sirens go off in Clinton, I grab for three things. Not Rhonda, because she's already in the cellar. Okay, I don't grab for her. The first thing I go looking for, this is the truth, she'll back me up, is I go look for this. The very first thing I find when I have to go to the cellar, I go looking for this. I then go look for the money bag, if there's any money bag, if there's any money in it. And then I go find the dogs and put them up. But I can promise you the first thing I look for is God's Word. That's how much I treasure His Word. And I hope over the next two or three weeks you will grasp the same kind of of love for this book. And understand how important and how treasured this book really is. And then you allow this book to impact your life as we bow our heads and close our eyes. Invitation time. Just do business with God. That's all I got for you today. If He's convicted you about your Bible reading, your love for His Word, confess it. Ask Him to give you strength to be able to take His Word and digest it and have it impact your life so that you too can treasure this book more than life itself. You do business with God as a piano place.